0: Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Catherine Deaves, an Australian lawyer, mother of three daughters, and co-founder of Save Women's Sports Australasia that defends the rights of women and girls to a dedicated female-only sports category. A member of the Liberal Party in Australia, Catherine was selected as the candidate for Warringah in the 2022 Australian federal election she was ultimately unsuccessful in her bid after being subjected to attacks due to her views on gender identity ideology and prior advocacy for women and children. I welcome Katherine Deaves to Savage Minds. I'd like to kick off with the reason why We've waited until now to speak because you recently stood for political office as you were selected as the candidate for Warringah in the 2022 Australian federal election. You were lambasted as a bigot, you were called insane, but there was a light at the end of the tunnel in the fact that your campaign ended up doing what the feminists call "peeking" many Australians as to the gender identity madness. Could you talk about what you went through as a candidate and what happened.
1: So I was selected as the candidate for Warringah and it didn't get off to a good start in that I was what they called a captain's pick. So uh, the Premier of New South Wales, the Prime Minister uh, and a a very high level woman within the party, uh, the three of them selected candidates for particular electorates. So I'd been planning on running in a plebiscite which is where all the members of the party within Warringah would be able to cast a vote to select the candidate. So before we'd even gotten started, there was a whole lot of people who would normally participate in a campaign who were offside and disillusioned and didn't want to help. And I understand that because they really, really wanted the plebiscite. Um, so I was the captain's pick and we had, we had literally had six weeks Uh, to get to election day. So that was an extraordinarily short period of time. Um, We lost one week to the Easter holidays where pretty much nothing happened. And then there was one week where the media furor around me uh, was at such a level that uh, I had to send my family away. I literally had to just go and take cover at my friend's house, which was out of the area and just wait for it to die down. so what happened was I was running as the Liberal candidate. I was running, so this is big L Liberal, our sort of centre right party is called the Liberal Party. So figure that out. Um, and I was running on their campaign platform. Um, however, I had, as all candidates are told to do, closed down any social media accounts, personal, uh, work related, etc. Because you are now the candidate, you are speaking for the party, so anything you've done prior uh, needed to be, you know, taken down. So I did that. Um, unbeknownst to me, there was a hacker by the name of Travis Brown, who is located in Berlin. I believe he's involved in the Twitter open source uh, program. Um, he had, like, what we think is that he had set up a bot to capture any tweet that I made at the time um, I published it and he put that into a file and made it available on GitHub. So it came to my attention that there were people dropping tweets um, on Twitter and, and social media uh, from this account that I had closed down and somehow the, the GitHub file had gotten into the hands of some journalists Here in Australia one in particular her name is Samantha Maiden she works for news.com.au and she was just dropping these tweets uh, every it almost felt like every few hours basically just taking a tweet that had you know words in it that were very controversial and confronting without any context you know if this was in a, a debate that was being had on Twitter or part of a series of tweets she'd just take one of them and and drop it and so the headlines were turning into you know Catherine Deves said that trans kids are surgically mutilated and sterilized um without actually looking at the argument that I was trying to prosecute.
0: They misrepresented your words how odd (laughs) I mean this Um... (laughs) is the the mo of these folks right
1: Yeah absolutely but um, you know I had people around me saying you know how much more is there to come and I'm like well I don't know you know I've been doing this (laughs) for two years and I don't know what they're going to find offensive because you know they were saying oh there's 6,000 you know transphobic tweets and I had a friend actually go through the github file and she said most of that stuff Kathy are just wittering on about living in you know, the community that you do and talking about women and children's rights. And, you know, they've sort of taken the most inflammatory ones and they're just dropping them like bombs. So that was really hard because I was also in the position of being the Liberal candidate. And while you're allowed to do as much local press as you want, uh, you have to run requests for national press through headquarters. And they did not want this debate to derail what they're main messages were, which is stuff to do with the economy and national security, which I completely understand. So I didn't really get the opportunity um, to respond to many of the media requests that I had. And I think in hindsight, had I just been able to, you know, go on the morning breakfast show and they said, we want to ask you about trans, but also about yourself and the platform that you're running on. I think it could have really taken some of the heat out of the debate because I was seen to just be running away from the press, um, which you know it did give the impression because when you're sort of not responding to to media inquiries or headquarters are just saying no, she's not doing that. Um, it it made it really difficult, and it was also not the platform that I was I was running on. Like obviously, I'd become known for speaking out about women's sports and the men who want to compete in that category. Um, But that wasn't my main issue. And so the media, I mean, you can imagine they had a field day. So um, the ABC and SBS are two big platforms here that are actually government owned uh, and they are very captured by trans ideology. And um, a lot of other platforms here, the the commercial uh, TV stations and radio networks and so on, um, are quite captured. But then there were also other people who came out in defence. So I think. You know, in hindsight, now when I talk to people, people started to like. I was so vilified; it was so extreme. I think I was the most reported-on candidate, second only to the prime minister. Um, <laughs> and it just became so intense. And the fact that I ended up having to get twenty-four-seven security and and so on and so forth, that I think people started to see through what was going on and just saying, "Well, what is this lady saying? That's so terrible." And then if you actually go and have a look and do a bit of research yourself, you find out that my arguments, you know, were just about women and children and women's rights and how gender identity ideology is impacting us.
0: Right. Well, you have just mentioned several terms that are very transphobic. I just want to highlight this. You said he, you said men, you know, like this is the (laughs) bar of what transphobia is. And just mm-hmm. last week, I had Léor Sapir on the show, and we w- we discussed in depth, the The show was two hours, because we discussed in mm-hmm. depth the, the ideological backdrop to this. In fact, he pushed back a bit on me saying ideological, but then he went with it. Because um, what can you call something that's not based in reality, but it mm-hmm. isn't quite a religion, we'll get there, and that looks very much like one, however, if not a cultish belief system to then overturning every single woman's right that has allowed our female ancestors to leave the house in the 19th century onward. And to be able to use loos, because loos that were made specifically for women, they did not exist until modern history, pretty much. And the same thing, education, when you start to look even then in places like India why girls don't go to school. Many people are not aware, the number reason, the number one reason why girls are not going to school in India has nothing other to do than the lack of toilets for girls. And people are not aware of this. So you've got this trans ideology, which has firmly implanted itself amongst the neoliberal classes of India, and is taking aim, unfortunately, at the Dalit class. But, and then you have what you've been through having to send your family away in 2013, when I published my first piece with counterpunch, I had to leave the country for two and a half months. It was awful with the death threats with the Met police saying, we lost your file, you know, and I had to employ private barristers to to send sharply worded letters to just a few of the over 100 people who sent myself and my editor death and rape threats directed at us and our daughters. Now, I think a lot of people in Australia and just like in the UK and just like all over the English speaking world, they've been, I call it the slowly boiling frog treatment from media. They have been trained to say she, and I'm going to go to an article that was written about you because there are many hit pieces that are directed at any woman in the public eye who speaks out and you are not exempt from this out in Perth. One can only assume I went to the website rainbow flags galore, a man that has long hair discussing something to do with a a smear test bizarre has run hit jobs on gender critical women such as yourself. And the piece that I'm referring to is entitled Catherine Deves pride is a neo religion with no God and the piece describes you as such. Steves who is also the head of Save Women's Sport Australia, a body that campaigns against transgender people participating in sport against cisgender people, dot dot dot. Now, mm-hmm. the language of this it resembles very much that of pink news or what the pe- feminists call penis news in the UK, <laughs> that takes aim at women. You, anti-trans wants to murder trans wants to eliminate the existence of trans people deny their rights blah 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 all the hyperbole that is in fact not at all what any of us have said i have yet to encounter one woman who is saying this right Mm -hmm. and this is just one of many articles that has hit out on you when australians read stuff like this or in the gay community specifically because we in the gay community we were slowly boiled before everyone else I remember in the 90s, late 90s, looking at all the propaganda near the toilets about trans women and I was like, why is what is this doing in a gay bar? What does this have to do with us? Because being gay has nothing to do with having a psychological condition. And of course they don't like that we say that, but there's a paradox there as well because they say they have one until they say they don't and then we're bigots and the argument keeps shifting goalposts. So How is it that the Australian public, especially the gay community reading out in Perth, can understand the severity of of what is being done, not just to women's rights, but to their rights, our rights as gay men and lesbians, to be able to say, no, I'm not going to suck a female penis. Thank you very much. I pass.
1: Mm. Oh, look, the the language that they use—that ideological language—that um, proliferates everywhere. That is why I just simply refuse to use it. Uh, I, you know, when they say, "Oh, you're trying to ban trans people from sport or trans girls from girls' sport," I'm like, "No, I'm saying that females are entitled to a dedicated female-only sports category. I'm not saying if you want to identify as trans, whatever that means." Um, You should be able to play sport, of course, we all understand the benefits, but if you are not female, if you're not born female, and I'm not talking about people who go and change their birth certificate because it's a polite legal fiction, um, you should be able to have your own sports category um, for the girls, for all the obvious reasons that we all know, and I find it absolutely ludicrous that we have to go and do all this research to prove that men, you know, are stronger, bigger, faster than women um, but for trans people who want to play sport, you know, they should be going into the open or mixed category or the male category. I have no issue with that. Um, and also, you know, when they're talking about oh the like and we all have to use the pronouns of the, I just I, I refuse to do it because that's not what I see with my two eyes. You know, I have uh, some friends who are actually trans, and you know, I would I would not ever do anything in front of them to upset them you know I, I use their name um, and I will be polite and you know this is uh, one of the difficult things I found with what happened in the election as well is because from the beginning you know I grew up with a, a gay um, sibling uh, I've got cousins I've got you know I officiated at a gay wedding at Sydney Opera House the other weekend um, I have no issue with that. I never have like gender nonconformity, grow your hair, wear a dress, wear the makeup, honestly, don't care. Like bring it on more color, more experimentation with that sort of stuff. I have no issue with that. But obviously what I have the issue with is that a man putting on a dress and growing his hair, it doesn't make him a woman. And I'm, I'm never going to resolve from that position. And it offends me on a visceral level. When these men say, "Well, I'm a woman now, and I'm going to come into your spaces, come to your female-only events, I'm going to take your resources, I'm going to come into your sports and your toilets," um, you know, I say, I, I say no to that. And I've got three little girls, and I will never stop fighting because they have the right to, you know, female-only sports, sports and spaces and resources and scholarships because. They have the right to have, you know, opportunities equal to men in the public sphere. And the only way we can do that is by ensuring that they have certain things that are dedicated just for females. And I'm never going to stop fighting for that.
0: Brilliant. I I completely agree. In the early knots, when this nonsense started coming about in New York, queer was used a lot and people were saying, I'm queer, I'm queer. And it was a way of not saying gay. Okay. It didn't mean what it means today. FYI. But Mm -hmm. I didn't use it. Then there was a certain point where I tried out the word and I felt sort of stupid using it because I didn't run around calling myself anything. Really, I didn't run around either saying I'm gay. Well, I used gay more than lesbian. I had to get used to the British women saying lesbian and some got upset with me that I would say gay. And that's just an Americanism. OK, I also agree with every single thing you've said. And in fact, I postulated the other day with Leor if Maybe if myself and many other women had stopped trying to appease this movement, because I did have friends who were trans in the early nineties and I would use their preferred pronouns. And I regret that not because I'm a mean person. I just think my reality matters as much as theirs. And when they look in the mirror and they see a woman, that's their right. But it's also my right not to be their mirror. And it's also my right not to play this kind of unelected role of psychotherapists to their needs. And I don't have that duty to anyone. Just like in other subjects, I don't have that duty. I'm not going to go running around declaring that the universe is not heliocentric. Or like the flat earthers, I'm not going to proclaim that the earth is really flat and show my little model I've made out of clay. I think we have a duty to respect each other and democratic rights. But this is the one movement that I've seen in my lifetime whose democratic rights seek to undermine those of half the population and that seeks to use us, women specifically, never men, as their mirror. On social media, often I'll write, I am not your mirror. And when I say to this is I'm referencing two things. One, the American photographer Nan Golden had a book of photography in the 80s called I am your mirror. And it was about her reflections with the transvestite community in New York's East Village, briefly. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a lot of friends who are transvestites, who are drag performers, love them, they're on my Facebook page, they're constantly posting wonderful people, they know they're men. And yes, I understand, which I didn't understand in my twenties, a lot of the feminist assertions and arguments against the misogyny within transvestite shows, let's call them that, that's another argument there altogether. Because the one saving grace of trans shows on the stage is that again, everyone knows they're men. There was something about the nineties as the last bastion of being able to say that these were men. That's a relief to me because no longer, now you have to hem and haw and you have to think even sometimes when I'm with guests who are very different about the trans issue, even though they recognize the nuttery, they still use preferred pronouns. And I had one guest who was very nervous about my saying he, And I could tell, and he's like, I just want to say that I am, you know, and that's a hard thing to, to struggle with because you're in front of a man who has no skin in the game. You have a man Mm -hmm. who has no daughters in the game. A lot of men who get it are the men with sisters and daughters, are the men who were sexually assaulted as children. You see, hence the recent revelations about mermaids, men are coming out of the woodwork, including gay men and gay men who are very aware That there was a tie-in to the ideological pushback against public acceptance of homosexuality because people called them pedos right so they are very aware that the last thing they want is that the lgbtq alphabet soup nonsense is attached to that and they want out because they saw this coming a long time ago where many of these figures have pedophile criminal records. So it's a hard thing. And then you're running for a party that you described as center-right, correct? That's correct. Yes, I imagine a lot of the pushback also came trying to paint you as some kind of Nazi figure.
1: Yeah, as a right-wing bigot, I think. Um, But look, I've always, you know, my, my partner, he runs a small business. I come from a family that's always voted liberal. That's just where my I would say my political home would be um I'm quite conservative with relation to like economy and finance and things like that but you know I voted for same-sex marriage I'm pro-choice I'm common-law with my husband so I'm sort of not your traditional conservative but uh it seems to be the conservatives are recognizing uh you know continuing to recognize biological sex and then it's the other parties here like Labour which is the centre-left party and uh, the Greens and also a group of women who are independents who are called the Teals Um, they they're on side with this ideology so it just made sense to me um, you know when I rejoined the party, I'd been a member in years past and I, I rejoined the party because I thought they had a bit of an understanding Uh, of of this issue. And there was a senator here, Senator Claire Chandler, she put forward the bill called Save Women's Sports, uh, which would have provided for a dedicated female-only sports category. So I thought that uh, people within the party room were obviously realising there's an issue with the ideology. Um, However, some of my biggest detractors during the campaign were actually men within my own party who went out in public um you know and portrayed me as bigoted or transphobic or whatever and you know I tried to reach out to one who was running in the electorate next to mine and I thought look we've got bigger battles against the teals in our area can I at least and he's a gay man I said can we at least have a conversation and can I explain myself to you and I I just I never got a response um you know, so here with the political landscape, I was going to say, you know, what really concerns me about this ideology is this, the sanctions and we have laws that are being imposed here um, that do attach, you know, criminal and civil sanctions to not going along with the ideology. So even here in the state of New South Wales, where I live, there's something called transgender vilification in our anti-discrimination law, um, and you can be criminally charged for you know vilifying a transgender person. So there's actually a statutory defence to that, which says you know if it's in the public interest or you're discussing you know a, a, an issue that should be of interest to the public. But it's only going to be a matter of time before, you know, the trans activists come after someone um, and and level that charge. And even if they are able to rely on the defence, as we know, with a lot of this, the process is the punishment. Um, So with respect to legislation here in Australia, we've also got gender identity as a protected characteristic at a federal level. Um, So nothing's actually been run through the courts that I'm aware of um, with respect to discrimination on the basis of gender identity. But there are complaints that are brought to um, the Australian Human Rights Commission. And when you look at so the gender identity protections are in our Sex Discrimination Act, and that was enacted back in 1984. to give effect to Australia being the signatory to the UN Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. So essentially, that means that women should not be discriminated against on the basis of their biological sex in the public sphere. And in
0: 1984, did they include transgender identity?
1: No, so it was just sex at that point. But in 2013, they made some amendments, some very sneaky amendments. And they put in uh, gender identity, which is based on the yogi, The definition, is that ridiculous one from Yogyakarta. They also put in intersex and they also put in um, a sexual orientation. So in my view, those three categories, it's actually unconstitutional for them to be in that piece of legislation because The way that it works is the legislation is effective because it relies on a head of power which we find in the constitution and they're all the heads of power are all listed so the Sex Discrimination Act relies on the head of power that pertains to external affairs and that means treaties so we were signatories to CEDAW and a number of other UN treaties so to give effect to so because the Sex Discrimination Act was relying on giving effect to those treaties, it's constitutional. So that's all fine and well and good. But in 2013, when they put in these three categories, none of those treaties refer to gender identity, sexual orientation or intersex. So there's no basis for them being there. And we've been waiting for a case um, to be run Um, We were hoping that a case was going to uh, be a foot called you'll love this. It was going to be called giggle versus tickle. Um, This was between (laughs) Sal Grover, who has an online social media platform called giggle and she only allows biological females on there. It does very well in countries like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia where women really are restricted in what they can do. Um, And Tickle was a person by the name of Roxy Tickle. Uh, He is a male who says that he's a woman. Um, He claims that he's changed his sex on his birth certificate. Um, And you can do that in the state of Victoria. So he might have done it. I'm not sure. And he was upset that he couldn't get on this platform. So he was going to sue Sal Grover and and Giggle for um, discrimination on the basis of his gender identity. And her argument was, well, I'm saying that women are allowed to have spaces on the basis of their sex. So you're excluded on the basis of your sex. And also the provision that you're trying to rely on, gender identity is actually unconstitutional. So we were all really looking forward to that case because you couldn't, I mean, giggle versus tickle as the definitive case (laughs) to protect women's sex-based rights. You couldn't make that up for a movie. (laughs) but uh, Tickle withdrew his complaint. So I'm not sure if someone advised him that it was likely to be a losing proposition or that if he lost, he would be ruining protections for gender identity, also with sexual orientation. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I think that people, gay and lesbian and, and bi people absolutely should be able to live lives free from discrimination. Um, And it's a pity that they put it in with gender identity. I think that they absolutely deserve their own legislation to be protected, but it needed to be done in a different way.
0: It also collapses this notion that discrimination is your or my saying he. And there's a huge difference. In fact, I have to say this movement has made me change my mind about the infamous gay wedding cake case in the US. I'll be honest, I used to say, oh, that's discriminatory. Now I'm like, no, if they don't want to make my cake, let them not make my cake. There'll be other people who want my money. And that's a crazy answer. It's almost a capitalist answer from me, but it's answering to the madness of this affirmation of what I stand for. And if you really don't want to make my wedding cake because you really think I shouldn't marry my wife, then I'll find someone who doesn't care about if I'm marrying a frog, a man or whatever, or myself as per Sue in Glee. Now, I hear you. This is a really crazy moment where, and in fact, in that article that was trying to do you under, It said something that I agree with that you said that pride is a neo-religion with no God. And obviously I never read anything about you and thought, oh, she's homophobic. Never. In fact, a lot of people on the right, including in the U S right, I have to remind feminists all the time when they argue against collaboration with the right is, a lot of right-wing Americans are actually pro-gay. There's a lot of right-wing Americans who are just fiscal conservatives. Uh So if you run with that and you stop thinking that everyone who votes on the right is a racist who wants immigrants to die in camps, all the myths associated with the right are sort of worn in 2022, especially since what we've seen go down in melbourne during lockdown i have to specify that because that's uh, a real eye-opener if you thought the left was progressive anyways i'd have to say that your thought of this being a neo-religion fits in with a lot of what i've thought over the years in fact later this week i'm going to be interviewing a cult expert on this very subject because many people have asserted that this is just Mass capture, it's a cult, and it's a cult that's aided and abetted by online presence. People, a lot of whom, don't have any in real life social life.
1: I think so. I Sometimes I think this is like revenge of the losers. <laughs> people who didn't have <laughs> friends at school, but they've got social capital online, and they can lash out at you know people they don't like um, and get rewarded for it and lauded and fated and And all the rest of it, I mean, they, the trans activists, they hold all the cards on the social media platforms. Um, So I do understand what you you mean um, when you say that. And, you know, with respect to gender identity being a, a religion, you know, it's secular religion because there is no God. You know, the God is yourself. It is your you know curated identity that's online and it can be depending on who you're speaking to it can be fluid it can be innate you can be born with it you know the goalposts are constantly shifting but you know with these laws that are coming into place particularly here in Australia if you don't go along with it if your child comes home and says that they're trans in the state of Victoria and you don't go along with that you can be guilty of a crime you can be guilty of a family violence crime and the penalties are extraordinary. It's up to like 10 years imprisonment. Um, Even organisations can be captured by the legislation and I think the fines for an organisation can be up to a million dollars. So, you know, you run through a few scenarios. Say you're a married woman, you've been married for 30 years, suddenly you've got your husband who's um, been watching too much trans porn. He decides that he wants to be a woman and you don't affirm him he can have you charged with a family violence offense this is where we're at uh in Australia it hasn't happened yet but um I suspect it's it's only a matter of time and you know it's like this state sanctioned religion and but there's what frust- what I find really disheartening about it all I remember having this moment in the um election when things were really bad and I got into the car with my friend I don't know where we're going and I just was you know beside myself and completely distraught and I said the thing with this ideology is it's so impoverished there's no joy it feels like everything is a sanction people are walking on eggshells they're not producing music they're not producing art except horrible you know killed turf (laughs) weird fetish anime like there's no, there's no singing, there's no community except, you know, being caught up in the cult where you have to obey all these rules and the minute you step out of line, you are, you are punished and you are excommunicated. I said, it's just, it's merciless and it's heartless and it's brutal and I'm just, there's no joy. And I said, and this is what we're fighting against. And, you, you know, the fact that people are just going along with it um without really understanding and I think it's not until people come up against it in their own life you know their daughter has to play netball against some six foot three 15 year old bloke or you put grandma in a nursing home and you ask for only females only to provide intimate care and you know you've got some bloke trying to give her a bath and and grandma's you know distraught um so many people, I think, just go along with it just because they don't understand or because they really are afraid of, you know, being criminalised, losing friends, losing family, losing jobs. Like so many women are losing jobs or being kicked out of social groups, kicked out of things online. I mean, I've lost friends. Um, there's a member of my family who, who won't really speak to me. Our, re- our relationship has become extremely impoverished because of this so there are really high social costs to this but at the same time I think you know this is an existential threat that we are trying to hold the line against if we can upend the meaning of man and woman and we can take away what it is to be a mother for instance and pretend that everything is the same and just whatever you say you are that's the most important thing then I think you know, we're getting into very, very dangerous territory if we become, uh, I think Colin Wright says this, uh, untethered from reality.
0: And it's very 1984, because if mm. Newspeak is to take over, and we saw this even during lockdown, people did not question anything. And people who questioned were called anti this, anti that, in the same way that transphobia is meaningless. And I, I assert that transphobia is a throwaway term at this point, because I think trans is a fiction, and I say this with all respect to the people I know in my life who identify as transgender, but these are medical fictions. They were medical fictions that emerged not coincidentally during the height of the most sexist decade of the 20th century, the 1950s. As I said to Léor the other day, the 1960s didn't come from nowhere, and there was a reason for the social revolution. I'd have to say, adding to this, you went through how the Sex Discrimination Act of 1984 was amended in 2013 to include gender ID. But you also say that there's gender ID, then there's transgender. And never the two shall meet, right? No one can really define either. Because both are whatever you want it to be. And, and Catherine, I dare say, you're looking mighty gender nonconforming today. Where is your Laura? <laughs> Ashley Prince. You know, you've got that Snoop Dogg head thing on. No, I'm making fun here a little bit just because I've always said this everyone's gender nonconforming. And I mean, if if Zsa Zsa Gabor were here, I'd, I'd go through what she's wearing. But no one is really completely gender conforming, not even the super feminine women or the super macho men. This is a myth spun by and uniquely by at this point, this lobby. They like to make you and I second class cis women. And you've seen this if you followed that idiot, Katie Montgomery in the UK, he loves to run around saying that I'm a better woman than you. (laughs) Well, yes, that's the ultimate, (laughs) that's the ultimate misogyny, in a sense, because even I wouldn't claim to do a better woman than any other woman like this, this is what men say to each other. This is and not mm-hmm. even all men. We should back bracket that there's a lot of good men out there in our support who know very well that Katie Montgomery is not only a dude, but that he's a misogynist in drag. Oh. If I write that on Twitter, my Twitter account is bye-bye. I've seen dozens and even hundreds, because I started to think about it the other day when I said dozens, of women who've lost their accounts. The better known names like Megan Murphy, we've known about for years. She took Twitter to court, lost. But I think we're going to see other such cases, when you have major tech companies in the big tech world, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and so forth and so on, that are controlling, not just public speech, as Kelly J said to me one day, when you can control the way people speak, you, you are actually trying to control their thought because we speak in order to walk through our ideas, right? Even as you and I are speaking, sometimes like I've got some notes here, but I I sometimes think, oh, well, what, you know, I'll, I'll elaborate this thought in a different way because I'm not quite fond of what I've written here. And I work it out. In fact, I'm attracted to people like Leora, I invited him on because he had an article that just blew my mind away. And I thought, This is the problem. When I sit down to write about this, I'm sure this happens to you. Sometimes it's just so crazy making and you just want to write F F F words. And you come across someone that's put it very well. And you're like, that's what I wanted to say. And Kelly J did this as well. She was one of the first who saw that this was about containing and controlling not just the use of the word woman, but the way women think and speak. This is the nasty part of it all. Yeah, I want to just hit back on the way that in Australia, gender identity and trans is undefinable, as it is everywhere else, that you and I could just say we're trans. Like, why not? We can be Victor Victoria. I've always posited this. I'll be like Julie Andrews, pretending to be a man, pretending to be a woman. Which am I?
1: Well, you know, you look at the rainbow, um, the LGBTIQA++, and as you pointed out, you know, by their definitions, um, as impoverished as they are, I would absolutely qualify for being queer um, or lesbian. You know, I've, I've been with women before. Um, I've always been quite gender non conforming with my clothes. I mean, I was very, I was in the 90s, It came of age in the 90s. I had very short hair. I was often taken for a boy. I was very androgynous. Um, so, you know, I find it's so regressive, this ideology, because it's really entrenching these sex stereotypes. It's like if you are, you know short hair and play soccer and you're a girl then you must be a boy like one of, my, one of my twins she just cut off her beautiful hair she had this long blonde hair down to her waist but it was just it was heavy it was getting knotty she couldn't deal with it um, so we chopped it all off and um, we've sent the hair off to uh, a wig maker who makes wigs for children with cancer um, so she's done a really lovely thing but she went off to school today and they kids in the playground were calling her a boy and they were saying that she had a Karen haircut and I'm like for god's sake so I'm going to write a note to the teacher and just say could you just be aware that you know she's had a haircut and they're not being very nice about it um I just thought what's wrong with a girl having short hair I don't understand and then I've got my youngest She wants to shave her head like Cressida in Hunger Games and we've done it before and it's all, her hair's halfway down her back now. She wants to shave it again. She plays rugby, you know, and I just say to her, she's actually said to me, I want to be a boy. I'm I'm not a girl. And I said, well, why do you think that? She said, well, I don't want to be a girl because I don't want to have babies. And I went, sweetheart, you're like five years old. You don't have to decide that now. (laughs) You decide when you're later and you don't, you you can change your mind too. That's also okay. You never can always change your mind. Everything's fine. Um, but I thought, you know, if I'd been a woke mum, I would have gone, Oh, she said she's a boy. I best, you know, ship her off to mermaids. And then where will we be? And I'd be
0: interviewing you about your bravery and coming forth about your child applause. That's what's happening too, right? Mm -hmm. You're getting a lot of very sick affirmation of parents who I hate to say it, use their children. For their own mental stability, in a sense.
1: Yeah, look, I came across a few of those in the election campaign. And, you know, someone saying that their seven year old son was actually a girl. Um, And then I said to them, Well, how do you know your child is trans? What, What did the doctor say? And the mother said, Oh, I haven't taken my child to the doctor. And I'm like, So what, you diagnosed them on the internet? Um, she didn't take very kindly to that, but I'm I'm like, well, what are you doing? You know, just if your son wants to wear a dress and cut his and grow his hair, just let him. He's seven. It doesn't mean that he's a girl. And I, you know, you see the pathway that that poor child will probably be on if he's being, because we know it's cascading social affirmation. Then you get to the gender clinic for the hormones and so on, and you just think what's in store for that little boy? You know, maybe he's gay, maybe he's just gender non-conforming and he's going to grow out of it. But I think pathologizing it instead of just letting kids be kids. Um, I just find it so alarming. And I think you're right. Like we do see some of those parents. say, like over in the States where you've got that little boy, Kai Shapley, um, whose mother I think is a fundamentalist Christian in Southwest Texas. And, you know she even went on the record saying that she hit him when he was two years old and wanted to play with girls toys and I think he's the youngest of five boys and now she's transitioned him or dresses him and presents him as a girl and you know he's talking to I think the Texas Parliament she's always wheeling him out in the media and I just think what happens when this kid wants to change his mind and but she's just put him out there like how difficult would it be for that child to turn around and say I think you've made a mistake mum
0: you're listening to Savage Minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you now back to our show these are like little trans candidates in a sense. And I'm shocked because Melbourne is known, for our listeners not familiar with Australia, for its university, it's a very left-leaning city, historically speaking, politically speaking. And between lockdown and this issue, I shake my head and I think this is a problem. And I'm very far to the left. But I have joined hands with people on the right around lockdown. And I do so, and this raises the next question for you, in fact, I do so because what we have been put through as a humanity on this planet, including where you and I are sitting right now, we were in the two worst spaces on the planet in the West to be in lockdown. I will never get over what I've been through because when the Italian parliament chose to lock people up and change forms that we had to print out that changed every other day. You never knew if you were printing out the latest form. Everything was a just massive cock up here. To what was happening in Australia, with the camps included, Melbourne, uh, and I've had many advocates from Melbourne on the show, I am very doubtful that these self-professed progressives, are anything more than authoritarians, be it on the trans front, be it on the vaccine and COVID pandemic mitigation front. So when you say things like vilifying trans people is a crime, of course, because this has come down to no debate. It's come down to if you disagree, that is a crime. This isn't like gay bashing when I was coming out, I was coming up and seeing stories of men and women being beaten. Now that's a crime you're saying my god doesn't accept your sexuality is sorry, not a crime, I might not agree with it. But it does nothing to interfere with my right to live my life. And this is something that the gay lobby has jumped the shark on. And I'm someone who's very critical of the gay community. And I'll tell you why. I moved to New York in the late 80s, went to my first gay, pr- I was very young, I was 21, like gay pride. But after the first pride, they each in succession became more and more and more boring, more and more and more of the same. How many times can you see dykes on bikes? Okay, there are butch lesbians with Harleys. Okay, there are men in leotards with batons. Okay, there are men in dresses. I think that we have codified and ghettoized ourselves to such a degree that we helped, unfortunately, and unwittingly in many cases, the trans lobby to advance itself. And I'm very critical of this. And I think a lot of other gay people are as well. Your thoughts?
1: Well, look, I think um, with LGBTIQ or pride, I'm not quite sure what to call it now um, because it really has morphed (laughs) into the TQ and the plus. But, you know, the thing is they keep presenting themselves as the vulnerable, the oppressed, where the counterculture. And I sit there and I think, well, no, actually, you guys are now the establishment. You guys are now the, you know, you're not the counterculture anymore. Those of us, you know, the conservatives literally are the counterculture now because here in Australia, um, there is a group called ACON, which used to be the AIDS Council of New South Wales. Uh, They did very, very good work with respect to the AIDS uh, epidemic Um, back in the day, and I absolutely concur with how difficult it was back in the day for gays and lesbians. Um, You know, I have friends who are completely triggered by the word queer because they were queer bashed. Uh, You know, I have a friend who was in the 78s. So that's kind of like our Stonewall when the riots happened against uh, the police. And then during the 80s and 90s, when, you know, gay bashing went on and there was a whole epidemic of young gay men um, being murdered, Or disappearing they're actually um holding an inquiry into that which i completely agree with um and you know having having a gay sibling and just you know worrying for their safety um and he recently did get punched in the face um in in new york city you know it still happens just minding his own business walking down the street um and he was called names and then they punched him so i totally understand that it, it goes on but not to the same degree as it as it used to You know, it was back in the day um, when we were still fighting for gay and lesbian rights. And I think here in Australia, when we got um, the gay marriage through in 2017, which I voted for, where they changed, you know, the definition of marriage to be not a woman and a man, but to be two people, that was kind of the last piece of the sort of legislative puzzle um, to put gay and lesbians on equal footing. Um, with everybody else Um, so I think probably other people prosecuted this argument I'm sure on your podcast but it was like then they had to find something else to do and they pivoted so ACON pivoted because um, I think there's you know the numbers of people living with HIV in Australia are so small and as a first world country like I think it's even in the low thousands and in a first world country they have access to all the medication so it's not a death sentence like it it used to be But they've really jumped on, ACONS now really jumped on board with pushing this trans narrative. And they've busied themselves with um, getting into every single government department, corporation, law firm, bank, education, um, into academia, uh, into SBS, ABC, our big news broadcasters uh, that are the state broadcasters and embedding this worldview of gender identity into all their internal policies and external communications. And it's similar to Stonewall. They've actually modeled themselves on the Stonewall. um, I think it's Stonewall Diversity Champions. Champions. Yes. 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 So we've been doing the same thing here. There's been a group um, led by Kit Kowalski putting in uh, FOIs to see how deep this goes and you know we've got our tax department you know our federal police department ASIO our spy department they are all signed up to this and they get points for let's say for instance University of Melbourne is signed up and uh, we we had a look at their FOI and you know if you and put in a person I think they call them a gender officer or something like that hundred thousand dollars um for their salary uh they don't necessarily have to have any particular qualifications and basically they're just there to assist students to police anybody else who doesn't go along with their gender identity and also to further embed (laughs) the ideology into Melbourne University operations so you get you get two points out of I think it's a possible 200. But if you get any negative press against you on this issue, you lose 25 points. So it's this extraordinary sort of mechanism to get institutions and organizations and the government to comply to this. So, you know, that's why we're seeing these extraordinary pieces of legislation. And speaking of Melbourne, they have the most draconian um, conversion therapy legislation I believe in the world, Uh, as I mentioned, you know, you can have criminal sanctions up to 10 years, but it also creates a tribunal through the uh, Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission. And so this is basically any, they appoint them, they're public servants that are, are appointed, not by the parliament, they're not voted on, but they will sit on this tribunal, and they will decide if you're guilty of conversion or suppression practices. Um, and then you will be, I think, fined. Or if you don't decide not to show up to the tribunal, um, then they can take it to the police. I mean, it's just extraordinary. It's like a star chamber um, where they're able to impose these sanctions.
0: How How is this even legal? I, I know. See, it seems it would be against any kind of democratic constitution because this is not forced religiosity at the end. In fact, what you're explaining is really crazy making on the one hand, but I try to step back from it a bit and think of how this happened, and especially with your presence as a politician, you've seen a lot of things that the general public has not seen. And I posited in many of the episodes I've done with people working on this subject, that we need to have some kind of oversight about NGOs that don't stop the mission once the problem is solved. And I Mm. say this, Seeing what happened in Haiti, where you will see NGOs there not trying to end the problem of child trafficking, but moving the furniture around such that their nice, hefty salaries will continue. And mm. there was a lot of fraud there. And even people from other NGOs called it out. And they said, this is just shifting the furniture around. We're not actually doing anything differently. The UN is culpable in this as well very culpable. They send people over with the rank of P2 and P3 for two to three months. The continue Mm -hmm. mission will always be there because no one has the historical memory to say, wait, we've been working on this same problem at this border with the Dominican Republic for the last seven years, because no one's been there for more than a few months. And that's how corruption happens by continuing the mission and what you pointed to the gay rights charities. Yes, the minute Crixivan hit the market 96 was when gay men and at that point, AIDS was a heterosexual disease vastly, people were living with AIDS, it was treatable like diabetes. So these NGOs were allowed to stay in business using their already embedded context within government and private industry and other public agencies, to then say, well, we're going to twist our narrative. And I feel very strongly that this has to end these practices are ideological in nature, they have no basis in reality, I'm sorry, it's not like they said, well, let's keep working on men with AIDS, but we're going to like gay men's health crisis in New York, we're going to not just be about men, and not just about gay men, we're going to be about helping people living with AIDS, get better housing. Okay, that's a valid thing. It's at least related, but not this. Men in dresses are now pressuring lesbians to have sex with them. Cause that's what this is about or not about what mermaids has done. Have you seen the recent scandal from yesterday with one of their other related agents who has penis pictures? Uh, it's really wild. It's like a kaleidoscope, penis picture. And again, more pedophilic links. I'll go further. How can we have NGOs? Many in countries like the U S NGOs are tax bracketed they don't have to pay full taxes in certain cases none so how is it that we have ngos that are ideological churches without the god as you said able to have such expansive power financial support and then nothing is done to survey what they're doing because when you scratch the surface on this ideology and it's going to be a bad look for all these people in even a year John Stewart running his first show of the season, promoting, promoting gender transition for children. This is a guy whose work I've respected for years. I've lost all respect for him. He's promoting the destruction. You used a word earlier that a lot of trans advocates hate, but it is a mutilation. Taking off healthy breasts is mutilation. Having pinectomies are mutilations. These are things that even young adults should not be doing. Even if they're over the age of 18, I don't care. Where is the line for where the left is saying this is progressive to the right coming in? The right has saved us in the right press as well, by the way. How is it that we're having this debate where the valences of left or right are completely distorted?
1: Oh, I agree. It's so confounding. you know getting back to you know pride being a neo-religion it's almost like they they are sacrosanct you know i was told years ago by a politician when i first started speaking out and they said if you start talking out against some of these groups they are the sacred cow they will come after you um but you know i look like in melbourne they've built this building i urge you to look it up called the pride center it looks like a cathedral with the progressive flag flying, it overshadows all the buildings as far as the eye can see and the Victorian government spent $25 million building it. Um, You know, ACON gets, they have a budget of about 20 million um, and at least 13 of that comes directly from the taxpayer. And they've just been given, um, I think about $4 million to open up a children's gender clinic at the big hospital here in Sydney, and, you know, ACON, they've got this website called TransHub, where they very much push um, the medicalization of children, um, you know, how to do it when your parents don't agree, uh, you know, what are your legal rights, uh, if you are having issues, these are the lawyers you can go to, here's a giant list of uh, doctors that will transition you, you know, and this is being paid for by the taxpayer, um, which is extraordinary and I mean the sad thing about this is that a lot of that money has actually come under the Liberal Party watch um we we're in power here in the state of New South Wales we're coming up to a state election where it's going to be very hard fought but the Liberal Party in New South Wales has kind of just allowed this to happen under the radar they haven't um they haven't really uh sort of stood up against it um but there's been they have a deal with an independent uh, by the name of Alex Greenwich who he pushed through the abortion reform legislation here in New South Wales which um, I agree with I'm very pro-choice um, but it's pregnant people not pregnant women um, so he did that at the 11th hour and now we're anticipating that he'll be pushing through the equality what well, it would probably be called the equality act um in New South Wales that's going to enshrine, you know, sex self ID where any man can, or anyone can just walk into the registry and change their birth certificate to the opposite sex. Um, They've done it in Victoria. So they have sex self ID in Victoria already. You can do it on the basis of two statutory declarations and you can change it every year if you like. Uh, Just, you know, go back and forth because it's fluid. Um, Queensland and WA are looking at doing sex self ID, uh, Tasmania. Uh, I think they've got it as well, so it's just extraordinary that this is <laughs> this is happening. Um, we're pretty far gone here in Australia, um, and like with respect to the legislation, we had something called the Religious Discrimination Act that they were trying to pass at federal parliament before the election, um, and that is the only human right, main human right, um, that does not have specifically. Leg- legislation to protect it so we've got like race and sex and disability we've got aged um, for elder people but religion is not specifically protected and uh you know i'm not i'm a lapsed catholic you know i don't i'm happy to respect anyone's beliefs but i think what we need here is to have like a belief discrimination bill almost where you know it covers religion and it covers belief and it also covers freedom from religion and freedom from belief. Um, I think that's maybe one way we could try to address the problems here because, you know, gender identity, it is a belief, as we've discussed. Um, You know, it's the belief in the gendered soul. It's the belief that you can be born in the wrong body or having a bit of surgery will change your sex. And, you know, I think, you know, there's just a lot of people who, don't go along with that. And we should not be facing criminal sanctions if we go along with that. So I think that it needs to be protected. So it's sort of similar to what happened with Maya for starter, but in a a different way.
0: And the irony is that only one side of the belief roster is allowed because if Hmm. gender identity is a belief, where is the belief as her rights were protected in the UK now because it's deemed a belief, but it's a bit more than a belief our side our side Mm. is right their side is wrong there is no science to back transgender id there is a psychiatric diagnosis but even that i've talked with people who say this also needs to be further debunked in the sense of where in history has there been any psychiatric diagnosis any psychological diagnosis any diagnosis where the answer is that you me and the rest of the world has to say You look smashing in that dress, Dolores. You're a real woman, none, none, none. There is not one. I've asked psychiatrists this. I asked people who work within transgender psychiatry this. There is no historical precedent for a diagnosis being resolved by not only that individual seeking out XYZ therapies or XYZ medical interventions, but where you and I must participate in the delusion. And this is why I think this is wrong. Not only because you and I have the right to free thought and speech, but we know that sex is immutable. And that's at the basis of this. There is no scientific proof for this. And I'm a rational thinker. I'm a rational being, as are you. And as are all the other vagina havers listening to this. Because we have been demonized and reduced to our parts. And this is the paradox of this movement. They say, oh, you want to reduce us to our genitals. Uh, no, we're not running around calling you a penis hour. <laughs> we're not running around saying anything other than that you're male. Mm. And I'm going to jump to a point that you're going to be able to relate to, I think. You and I, if I were to talk about other issues, we'll certainly disagree about. And I won't call your employer on you and say, hey, <laughs> Catherine disagrees with me about this issue. This summer, you penned a piece called Erasing Women, Why Are Feminists Destroying Feminism for the Spectator Australia. Yes in which you analyze the political climate in the U.S. surrounding the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You write in the forty nine year hiatus since Roe was decided, those who would have once taken to the streets to champion women's rights grew complacent, lulled into a false sense of security. Those who traditionally stood for the advancement of women and their biological rights stopped fighting for women's right to physiological autonomy and safety. And instead, it seems have occupied their time fighting for the rights of men to be women, end quote. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Now, I love this piece because you get at the issue, which feminism, you see, because we've got the feminism, which I call pole dancing or sex worker feminism, where every woman who's a prostitute on the street is really doing so because she's empowered by this. Every woman who sleeks down on a pole for adult male entertainment, again, is empowered by doing this how can the general public make sense of feminism when feminism is that which helped usher in this hokum in the first place but it definitely was not the radical feminist saying men come into our hospital wards changing room growing squads prison wards, etc when so many women seem to be unable to suss out the difference between empowerment feminism hence the sex worker pole dancing type and the more, I don't even want to say radical feminist because you don't have to be a radical feminist to know Mm -hmm. that men can't be women. You can actually not be a feminist at all. You can be a misogynist man who knows his biology. Mm. How do we get through this mire of what feminism is?
1: Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, you know, here in Australia, we have, I call them the the Vichy feminists or the pick me feminists, um, very high profile women, some of whom have quite happily dogpiled me during the election, uh, you know, who profess to be all about women, but are very on side with the trans narrative. Um, and I I just don't understand if they're doing it because they're ignorant, uh, because they get, you know, woke cookies or their virtue signaling, um, or they're doing it because they see what happened to women who speak up like me and they don't want it to happen to them. Um, I think, you know, I look at what happens in the UK, obviously, you know, Turf Island, they're sort of winning the fight. Um, And I think like the history there in the UK with workers' rights and when they went through the Thatcher years and because they're much smaller geographically, it's easier to get together Um, and so on. So they have this history of, you know, resistance and it's easier to get together. I mean, we are so spread out here in Australia Um, it's a lot more difficult. And I think the fact that they've been able to highlight, you know, the the horror show of what trans activism can do, obviously with what's being exposed at mermaids, which, as we know, whenever safeguards are um, reduced or removed um, for women and children, predators will be attracted. Of course they will. Um, That goes without saying. Whereas here in Australia, we're a couple of years behind. the UK. So, I unfortunately think we're going to have to see some more and extreme examples of what trans activism does uh, before the general public sort of get more mobilized. I thought it was going to be sport because we're such a sports crazy nation, but I think we need to have our own Leah Thomas or Laurel Hubbard. Um, you know, we are aware of sort of men competing in women's sports, but it's generally at the local level um so it's not quite high profile but we're hosting the olympics in 2032 and if we're going to have a Lea thomas you know take a spot away from one of our golden girl swimmers uh australians aren't going to be happy we are now starting to get the story out that there are men who are convicted sexual predators in prisons here um so with what happened to me in the election it it has shifted the narrative a little bit because it got this argument on the table and now everyone is talking about it um, which is sort of all I'd ever wanted when I had been involved in that advocacy. So I think that, you know, as just more and more stories come out and it's just, you, you just can't turn a blind eye to it anymore. So there's celebrities and the Vichy feminists and the media pundits here who are all rah-rah trans, um, you know, I think there's going to be much sort of cleansing of timelines and denials that I said that... Um, said, you know, pro-trans things, but I, I don't know. I kind of feel, Julian, like it, it is going to get worse before it gets better in some of, the, some of our countries.
0: This is why I raised the feminist issue with you because my follow-up question to this is about the comment you made in that same article you wrote, hands across the aisle almost seems like a quaint concept in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you are referencing the ongoing debate here within the feminist community about left versus right. Mm -hmm. where you talk about the Vichy feminists, but there's another thing going on here. There are the purity leftist feminists who have gone out of their way to monster a lot of the women who are not even on the right necessarily, but might be, who reach across the aisle. And I'm thinking specifically of Kelly J. King in the UK, who's been doing this work, Kara Dansky in the US, who works between the US and UK on Women's Human Rights Campaign, WHRC, And she's also been outspoken about the need to stop the purity politics that we need to reach across the aisle because women on the right are, wait for it, women. (laughs) And people vilified Kelly J. Keene early on. And I mean, specifically Women's Place UK. I love what they've done in many respects. I dislike what they did to her, however, simply because she had the temerity to say that the grooming gains in the north of England were allowed to take place because the police were afraid to interfere for fear of being called racist, a a claim that has now been backed up, both by government commission and the police themselves. And they, from 2018, vilified her as a racist for saying something that was common sense, not at all racist. In the same way, if you say trans women are women, you're vilified as a bigot within the wider leftist scope. So I say this with great respect for Women's Place UK. Still, I have problems and really deep problems with the way that specifically Kelly J. King, um, AKA Parker Posey, has been sidelined, defamed and monstered all over social media such that it's a very strange paradox when you have women in the States, they've never seen her, never saw her videos, but they heard by virtue of a hundred mouths back on Twitter that she's a racist, therefore she must be a racist. What's up with the purity politics?
1: That's a really difficult one. Um, I've always followed Kelly J. I admire her immensely. She has never resiled. She has never backed down. She speaks plainly. She doesn't make excuses. She's just focused on women and children. And I did see those claims of her, uh, against her that she was racist or that she was in bed with the you know the far right and so I went to the source like you I, I went and looked it up I thought where are these claims coming from and I think um, the far right one she went to the Heritage Foundation they had a venue and they platformed a mother whose, whose children had been um, transitioned and nobody else would and she'd been fighting for years to be heard and Kelly J went along to that and um she was vilified for that. For sitting in the audience, by the way,
0: right? <laughs> they, were, they were saying that she took money from the Heritage Foundation, when in fact, she did no such thing. And the day before, she actually went to D.C. because she and Julia Long and Megan Murphy, they organized something for women at the Washington, D.C. Public Library. Mm. So these feminists just took a story, balled it up into whatever they wanted, like throwing your underwear in the corner, I guess. And they were like, oh. She's paid by the Heritage Foundation without doing a shred of investigation as you did, I did the same.
1: Yeah, so I find it, sometimes I wonder, is it a bit of professional jealousy perhaps because Kelly J is uh, so effective, but I, I don't know, I, with my feminism, I would say I go with the primitive type. I think, you know, is this good for women and girls? And if it's not, then, you know, it's not feminist, basically. I sort of go all the way back to that. But I think punishing women for having different views on certain things, I mean, this is what the other side want us to do. They want us to rip ourselves apart. And there's there have been quite a few disputes here in Australia um, amongst the feminists for differences of opinion and so on. And I just think we need to keep our eyes on the prize. Yes, we might have divergent views, say, about abortion or whatever it might be, but can we just set that aside? Because if we can't define... a woman is if we can't win that fight then the rest of it doesn't matter so let's just join forces to fight this battle and then we can go back to arguing about the other things um i'm sort of of that view and i just think that remaining you know the purity politics and being so dogmatic it also i i don't know i think if you're not willing to consider other people's viewpoints Um, you know, or even have a conversation with someone. Like some of these people who are vilifying uh, Kelly J, I know she's invited them to speak with her. And I think, why wouldn't you do that? Maybe you will realise you have more in common than you think. And yeah, sure, you might not agree on everything all the time, but it's not helpful to, to be smashing each other. Like this is what the other side want us to do. They want us to tear ourselves apart. So we're fighting each other instead of fighting them so i think we need to keep our eye on the prize on the big picture here
0: i agree i think there's a lot of jealousy professional jealousy as well because what her tactic did and i'm going to be completely transparent when i started writing about this encounter punch would no longer run my pieces which is a firmly leftist publication i went to public discourse the public discourse is a heritage foundation publication Backstory to that is the Heritage Foundation was indirectly linked to the funding of the Contras in Honduras and Nicaragua during the 1980s. I received bullets from the Contras, not in my body, but I dodged them. There was a day I had to, near Matagalpa, leave a bus with a bunch of other campesinos and hide behind rocks as we were being shot at. Now, I made the political decision to do the only thing I could do, which was to use the venues on the right, the publication venues, to print this. And people like, and I'll say their names now, but Julie Bindel and J. Claire Jones, who wanna vilify Kelly J as being right-wing are fooling themselves. Because even though one of these women publishes in a right-wing press, ironically, and will never admit that, the Daily Mail is not a progressive publication by any means, it's certainly not on the left. But the fact that you make your bread and butter from the right and then can turn around and speak at the other side of your mouth about someone who's simply organizing and having mothers whose children have been mutilated by these processes, I can see who's being regressive and totalitarian here, and it's not Kelly J. And I have issues with having this plan, it's not a good optic, where are we heading? As if, who voted for you to lead us? I mean, we're not on Star Trek and you're not Captain Kirk. So I don't know why these women have the arrogance outside of their professional esteem and PhDs, but they believe themselves to have the acknowledgement and they have been tapped to lead us. Kelly J has succeeded because she hasn't done that. She involves all women. Everyone at her events is allowed to come up to the mic. It's like open mic night. It's karaoke political. And you can go and talk. And they don't do that. They, I've seen their Twitter feed before I was banned. And it's about their egos. They're being platformed. And I rather find it interesting That the person who succeeded the most is the one with the working class background the one who's platformed women of working class backgrounds extremely poor women single mothers same-sex couples she's not homophobic she's not racist she's platformed everyone and anyone who wants to be platformed she's asked these women including kathleen stock to come on her show to have a discussion and you're right i think these women should take it up because Their argument all these years about the trans debaters who won't debate is, well, they don't want to debate us because they know that we'll show them up within a few questions. And I have to say, I have the same suspicions about their refusal to go on her show and discuss with her. Because as a leftist, and I'm very hard left, I cannot square myself with having said no to publishing my pieces to get the word out simply because I was going to play a purity politics against the Heritage Foundation, an organization I have a particular ire for, personally speaking, and for those people I love and know in Nicaragua. But if this helped get the word out, so be it at this point.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, well, Kelly has been um, extremely effective. And I know, you know, some of these other women that you have mentioned have been, you know, they have PhDs, they've been writing about this for decades. And maybe Kelly J has just had more of an impact with her message um, than they have. So maybe it is a bit of professional jealousy. Um, I'm not entirely sure. It's a strange one. But I think, you know, if, if Julie was to have a chat with Kelly J., I mean, that would be huge within this world. Many people would watch it. And it's funny that you mentioned those two because I've been going onto Sky News um, regular, regularly a couple of times a week. Um, and they've been fantastic. So Rowan Dean, who's the editor of The Spectator Australia. So if you ever have a piece, Julian, I can I can ask Rowan if you'll run it. Um, but I was on his show on Sky News, and one week we had Julie Bindle and we were talking about the lesbians who were attacked um, in Leeds, and also at that other Pride event where they were um, chucked out of the march. And then the following weekend, uh, following week, we had Kelly J on there talking about what happened in Brighton. So, you know, it almost seemed like you know they're fighting the same battle, but they're just doing it differently. Um, and I think just focusing on you know maybe trying to undermine someone else's work it's just it's just not very helpful but um you know in in mentioning Rowan and in being on uh Sky News also there's uh Paul Murray who has his show um four nights a week I mean getting back to way back in the beginning of this conversation you know the support that I've had from men uh and conservative men Um, you know me running in the election I could not have done this without my partner and he is I suppose you call him an alpha male he works in a heavily male dominated industry I don't think there's even any women working in it Um, he's an ex-police officer and you know I speak to him I speak to his workers and they are all on side with this they all have daughters they all completely get it they all think it's just ridiculous and you know they seem to sort of start arcing up when you talk about the impact it might have on their wife and daughters and then when I was running in the election some of my biggest supporters were conservative men older conservative men who completely believed in what I was saying who gave me opportunities to speak who donated who organized events with you know really high-profile people so I could get my message out um so it's interesting that, you know, even though this is all about women and children, we seem to have this whole cohort of, of males who are completely on site, who just, you know, don't won't go along with the ideology at all. And then, as you pointed out, we've got these, you know, really sort of lefty women who, you know, are sort of distracting themselves by arguing with other women about how they're running their advocacy. Because at the end of the day, like, we're we're all I mean I do this I don't get paid for any of this I don't get paid to be on the telly I don't get paid for my articles I do this because I'm driven to do it I could like nothing would stop me from fighting for this um and you know so many of us have given you know hours and years of our lives to to fighting in this space without any recompense without any desire for you know, awards or adulation. And and we're all sitting here fighting our own battles. And I think that if you're trying to undermine someone when they're just trying to engage in the fight in their own way, it's just not very productive. Well, where
0: do you see this heading? Because you say it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I can see that. I can see that because even though you have LGB Alliance, we had that moment of Schadenfreude about 10 days ago when it was announced that because mermaids instigated an investigation by the Charity Commission to have them de-charitized, I made that word up, (laughs) but the irony is that they've brought it on themselves. Now they're being investigated by the Charity Commission, both because of breast binders and some testimony that they are rushing parents into this process. There's much more. There was a case I covered for Feminist Current in 2016 around their pressuring another parent in terms of transitioning their child that went to court. Mermaids has a lot to answer for in terms of being basically a backdoor gay conversion therapy laboratory. And we need to say it for what it is because the vast majority of these boys and girls going through their doors are simply gay boys and lesbians yeah that can't be stated enough i think that we're going to be seeing backlash on this did you see the women on twitter the other day defending the trustee from mermaid saying Well, he did that when he was much younger and it was only one article. It was only one conference. And I'm thinking, OMFG, these are the same people saying it's okay that a rapist is in a woman's prison because it's his identity. He has to live his true self. Since when has the left become the political wing of advocating for personal identity of rapists? Mm -hmm. I want to know when that happened because I have friends in the U.S. who have confessed to me that they are voting, and they're very far left again, they are voting Republican all the way through this fall.
1: Yeah, I'm hearing that too, people who are going to be, or people who voted liberal in our election. Um, I've heard that as well with the Republicans over in the United States. And I think, I don't know, I think like here in Australia, it's, there's gonna to need to be more litigation. There's gonna to need to be cases like there has been in the UK and I'm I'm sure that they are coming. Um, And I think that we'll probably also have an inquiry eventually uh, into what they're doing to children. Um, I've spoken to someone who's sort of very high up in that, in that world. Um, And and it's only a matter of time before they have an inquiry into the gender clinics here. Um, And I think also, you know, in the pushback, it'll come from parents like in the United States, obviously, when they're seeing their kids being indoctrinated into critical race theory and gender identity ideology. Um, and they're pushing back at all those school board meetings um, and the parents are starting to revolt whereas here in Australia it it hasn't really come out as much. Uh, I mean I've got my kids coming home telling me about you know there's a program that they watch and they were pushing um, the presenter who was a, a trans man and they have this day called Wear It Purple which is essentially just you know, spreading the LGBTIQ ideology. And they say, oh, it's an anti-bullying program, but they don't actually do anything. It's just a day where you have to demonstrate your allegiance. Uh, But all this stuff is creeping into the curriculum here in Australia. And I think when parents start to see what's happening um, and that there will start to be a pushback, um, but we're probably, as I said, two to three years behind the UK. So it's going to take a little bit more time. I think it's gonna take some more of these stories coming out like they have in the UK before people really start to, to mobilize and push against it. Um, but Julian, I mean, I'm just confounded as to how we found ourselves in a position where people are actually you know, defending someone who is very openly pro-pedophile and has been repeatedly for years involved in a children's charity. Uh, I think there probably will be some really far-reaching inquiries or a royal commission to see how this ideology actually managed to infect every single institution and organisation.
0: And I'm also worried about the many people out there, and you know they are there. I hear them all the time. They don't understand the difference between transgender and gay. They are Mm. so out of it that they're just like, oh, you people with your gender, sexual business. So this is going to result in gay men who are not actually supporting any of this bollocks being gay bashed, including also gay women being beaten up because we are viewed as having ushered this forth. We are viewed as being that gay way to hell. And I'm worried about our rights now because people say. Well, now you have a fascist in Italy. And I'm like, well, look at your clock a little bit. Because while some people had paychecks the whole time through lockdown, Italians were locked up in the most cruel way. I mean, it's surprising that Mussolini wasn't raised from the dead and voted into power. <laughs> I don't blame people for putting her into power. I, I certainly am not pro Meloni, but politics is a zero sum game in the sense of people vote with what their life experience has been months before they go to the voting booth and the last two almost three years people have lived hell in italy from lockdown and the gender ideology madness called the zan law Zan, has come up as well so they had this double whammy of quackery in two fronts from the left Mm. during lockdown we were treated to la Repubblica that ran similar to the guardian 10 things you can do with your children during lockdown meanwhile The majority of people in Italy were having no time to do homeschooling and work and eat and sleep. This is insane. So, yes, the left needs to go in the back room and have a chat with themselves. They need to abandon all of what they've been preaching because this is madness, not just the pedophilia angle. I wrote about this just last week in my expose on the LSE and what I went through as a pregnant candidate for an LSE position as a professor there. I spoke out because mm-hmm. this bullshit of mermaids not knowing that their trustee dude was pro-pedophile is a big lie. Google exists. Dogpile exists. You can go back and find everything. and
1: It's implausible.
0: And the whole university, the LSE, is caught up in gender ideology because it's a very convenient way of removing us from the scene. I was an inconvenient presence once that committee saw I was pregnant. I was a very inconvenient Mm. presence for them, yet isn't it convenient to have all women shortlists with Eddie Izzard on there? You can have men that never menstruate or have children take up my position. Maybe a man got the post that I was denied. This is a real problem where gender ideology, the most, I'm using this word, no offense to you, but in the most conservative world, and when I say conservative, I'm not thinking your party. I'm thinking of where people said things once upon a time that if Jesus wanted us to have cars, he would have put wheels on our feet. I'm talking about that kind of stuff that I heard when I grew up in the Deep South in the U.S. I think the left needs to have a serious debate as to why they've abandoned historical materialism. For starters, the working class, I had to tune into Fox News to get any news about the working class because CNN wasn't doing it. As they were flouting the oh stay home and clap for the healthcare workers okay so we really are in a mess when we have the right doing the work that the left has long abandoned it's a quite a paradox where the right is almost the new left in a way
1: that's right like here in australia um you know the liberal party now we're attracting you know what we call the aspirational australians and the and the working class australians um because Labor's sort of abandoned them. Labor's sort of the, you know, the party of the elite, like it is in America with the Democrats. You know, it's the people in the East Coast cities who vote Democrat. Um, We call it post-materialist. You know, the people who vote based on virtue signalling, not on, you know, the cost of living or the reality of their lives. So, um, yeah, there has been this sort of real inversion. It's quite... Uh, extraordinary Um, and a lot of people just feeling uh, politically they're not aligned necessarily politically. Um, A lot of swing voters now whereas people used to be sort of firmly Labour or Liberal but we've had more independents and more small parties uh, gaining the vote which is somewhat problematic because we are based on the Westminster system it's a two-party preferred system so when we start having all these independents and these small parties it starts to become unwieldy you know you only have to look at Italy or Spain or Germany and how it's almost ungovernable because you don't have a party that's able to form the majority government um, so yeah the political landscape is really oh, I don't know it's all sort of its it's all big muddle but I think like with the Liberal Party here, you know, they're not standing up enough with respect to this gender ideology. And I think if they did, um, you know, they're sort of struggling. We have most of the states um, have a Labor government now. We have a Labor government federally. Uh, But I think that, you know, if you have a party that's just willing to talk sense and talk to common sense and be willing to protect the safeguards for women and children, you know, it's a golden opportunity for that party to, um, to win government. Because we're going to be seeing more of this woke stuff. Like we've got Labor Greens teal in power at the moment, and they they're going to go off the reservation with the woke stuff. Not just with um gender ideology, but also like critical race theory. Um, they're going crazy with climate change, uh, with you know putting in solar panels and uh, wind turbines to the point where we won't be able to uh, manage ba- have reliable baseload power. So we'll end up like Europe, and having rolling blackouts, um, we still haven't realised that transitioning from fossil fuels to renewables, we need to do it in an orderly fashion so we don't end up, like Germany, reliant on a country that they're potentially going to go to war with. Yeah, so I think we need to see some of these things happen before the people sort of wake up and think, this has just gone too far. What, can't we just get back to, you know, what's important?